You know, when we founded the Analyst Institute and we did a year of experiments, basically what we learned is that 80% of everything we did for voter turnout was absolutely useless. And we had to revamp everything. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Today's guest is Hal Malchow, who returns to the show with a suggestion for how Democrats should change their advertising. Hal is a retired political consultant whose firm MSHC Partners helped pioneer the use of statistical modeling and controlled group experiments in politics. His career is chronicled in The Victory Lab by Sasha Istenberg, a book that describes how scientific measurement has transformed the conduct of political campaigns and in his previous appearance on this podcast. Hal and I discussed the written exhortation that he's currently circulating that we should spend political advertising dollars throughout the cycle opportunistically tied to the news, highlighting popular political moves by Democrats in Congress in an effort to get people to switch to the Democratic Party. He argues that in the currently polarized world where people vote on party label, advertising tied to candidates doesn't work and that the payoff is much higher if you convert someone to our party. So after word from our sponsor, my interview with Hal Malchow. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Time Plots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Time Plots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Hi, Hal. Would you mind introducing yourself and telling me a little about what you're working on? Yes, I'm Hal Malchow. I was a political consultant in Washington for 35 years on the Democratic side. I was a pioneer in bringing advanced data analytics for targeting voters in election campaigns and also was one of the founders of the Analyst Institute, which uses control group experiments to measure the effectiveness of political campaigns. And I'll be talking about that in this podcast. The subject that we're going to talk about today is that how we've done campaigns for the last 70 years has suddenly become ineffective. And it's become ineffective because voter behavior has changed in dramatic ways and we have not adapted. That's a very strong statement that there is a radical change in voter behavior. What's the evidence for that? All right, let me explain. First, for as long as we've been doing political advertising, the target voter has been the ticket splitter. In the year 2000, there's there's a Republican firm, Public Opinion Strategies, that every two years, they measure the percentage of voters who split a ticket, who voted for candidates of at least two parties. 
In the year 2000, that number was 36%, a little more than a third of the electorate. In the year 2020, that number had fallen to 11%. So basically what's happening is 90% of the voters are choosing candidates on the basis of party, with the balance, to some extent, actually evaluating individual candidates. But we spend 100% of our money on candidate information. When voters, voters are casting their votes on the basis of the feelings they have about the two parties. And, uh, and my contention is that this is a big mistake. The way to win more elections is to move people into our party. I guess that makes it very tricky to be a candidate in a district that leans the other way. Almost impossible to win then, right? It's harder, yes. If that's the situation, and it sounds like it is, if that's the situation that the partisanship has just ramped up that dramatically in this short of a time, what should campaign consultants, parties, people who spend money on politics be doing different? Well, there are two things they should be doing different. The first thing is they should be messaging about party. They should be contrasting uh, if I'm a Democratic consultant or I'm the uh, Priorities USA, a super PAC, I should be sending messages about the Republicans and why they are hurting the country, which is a very rich message at this point. It's harder to move someone from one party to another than it is to move someone from one candidate to another. But the benefits are extraordinarily higher. So let's start with uh, party registration. If someone decides to register as a Democrat, a Republican, or an unaffiliated voter, the time span of that decision is about 23 years. And if 90% of the voters are voting straight party tickets, when you move someone from unaffiliated to Democrat, the chances are very high that you will get a Democratic vote across the entire ticket, not just one office, but all the offices. And that decision to support Democratic candidates and the behavior of, uh, of voters in voting straight tickets and the length of registration all implies that the value of, of that decision is not just on one office on the ballot, but the entire office, and not just one election, but perhaps even elections over the next 20 years. And compare that with changing someone's mind about one office. It seems like a lot of the way that money is spent, there's not that big of a perceived incentive to advertise the party. The incentive is to to eke out a win in your particular race, right? Well, yes. If you're a candidate and you've raised money to get yourself elected, of course you're going to spend that money um, distinguishing yourself from your opponent. But once you move outside that realm and a huge, you know, the candidate spending is dwarfed by what is spent by all these other independent, you know, uh, not independent in the sense of nonpartisan, but you know, Democratic-aligned, Republican-aligned, super PACs, PACs, these entities should be thinking about how to sell the party. Is anyone 
doing this currently, selling the party, trying to get people to switch fully? Are there any experiments or measurements that such advertising would indeed move people? There are no experiments that I am aware of. I, I have put in funding proposals to do this, but uh, but have not gotten anyone to write a check. The, uh, the only group that is advertising on the basis of parties is the Lincoln Group. The Lincoln Project. Yeah. yeah, the Lincoln Project. Yes, they have been running ads against the Republican Party. That brings me to a second point. The second problem is that political persuasion advertising is broken. So the Analyst Institute does all these experiments. Let's say you want to determine whether a mail piece is, is effective in changing people's votes. So you might pick out 200,000 target voters and half of them get the mail piece and half of them don't. And after that mail piece is delivered, you poll them to see if the difference between the people who got the mail and the people who didn't is statistically significant, then you'll know you made a difference or you'll know you didn't make a difference. In 2017, uh, the Analyst Institute allowed two political science professors from Berkeley to review 46 persuasion mail experiments to determine, you know, what was working and what wasn't. And the findings were really interesting. These mailings produced a statistically significant improvement for the candidate they supported in primaries. They also produced a statistically significant um, effect on ballot measures. In the uh, general elections, where partisanship was on the ballot, to quote them, the uh, effect of all of these experiments taken together uh, and, and evaluated, the effect size was zero. In other words, the biggest part of this body of experiments was, were general election advertising, and, and they saw no result over what were probably 35 experiments. It's really troubling to think about all the effort that goes into fundraising and putting together mail like that or putting, putting together other kinds of advertisement and to have no effect of it. Right. It is troubling. Especially with everything that's at stake in these elections lately. Well, everything's at stake and uh, the consultants who, who drive these decisions. You know, it's amazing how few people in Washington know about this analysis because no consultant wants to talk about it because it's not good for business. The other thing that I think is important is that the timing and content of our advertising and the style of what we do is contributing to its ineffectiveness. Let's take a few examples. Let's say someone adopted my theory here, my strategy, and, and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to promote the Democratic Party and loyalty to Democratic candidates in our advertising. Okay, so what were the opportunities this year? 70% of the American electorate believes that the 2020 election was fairly decided. Now, most of the Republicans think otherwise, but 70% believe the election was fairly decided. 80% of House Republicans voted to overturn the election. How many voters know this? I think it would be a fairly small percentage, but I think it would be troubling to a lot of voters. But the problem is our model is raise money 
over the two-year cycle. Save it for September and October. Then remind everyone of things that happened two years ago that were troubling and hope it will uh, swing the election. You know, I think I think if most voters knew that, that 80% of Republicans voted to overturn the election, this would be troubling. Then we had the uh, stimulus package, Biden's Recovery Act. So 85% of American households got a $1,400 check. Not insignificant, right? But every single Republican senator voted against it. That's powerful information. But, you know, you drop it down in October, people go, oh, what check? You know, it's become a faded memory. What we should be doing with our advertising is, one, timing it around news events. So when you when you go on the air, you're talking about something that is current and people are seeing it. And as long as you don't try to spin it too hard, it'll be credible because it's supported by what people are seeing and hearing. Rather than getting some dark, shadowed, distorted picture of your opponent and some deep, evil voice talking about him with the exorcist music playing in the background, that stuff doesn't work anymore. There was an experiment that was done in 2018, which sheds a lot of light on the uh, the ineffective way we're doing political advertising. So there was a mail test done in the special election in the 18th district in Pennsylvania. And there were five different pieces of mail that were uh, sent and measured. Uh, three of them were the traditional stuff, you know, nice picture of the candidate or ugly picture of your opponent, all of that. One of them was what they called the false positive, which was uh, you send a piece with a nice picture of your opponent on it, and you have him advocating one of his more controversial positions and hope that the voters will assume he sent it to them and uh, therefore it'll have more power. The fifth piece was what we call the information only piece. It was sent by the Center for Voter Information. It said, our purpose is to provide impartial information to voters. We've contacted voters. Here are three issues that voters were interested in information on. Then you go to three comparatives. Does the candidate support extending family leave by four weeks, right? And then you have the Democrat, the Republican, and you have yes or no answers. At the bottom, it says we're a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that does not endorse any candidates. In this test in Pennsylvania, and in subsequent testing in the fall, where I believe more than 100 million of these pieces were mailed, moved one and a half voters for every 100 pieces of mail mailed, which is an extraordinary measurement. Once we started measuring this, the first lesson we learned is how little all of the stuff that we do really works, that we're kind of nibbling around the edges, the consulting community, the advertising community. And uh, so why did this piece work while the others didn't? The information was the same, but first, There were no color pictures. There was no color at all. It was eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper lasered on both sides. So the first thing people don't do is think, who paid for this, right? This looks really expensive. The second thing, it didn't look like an advertisement. There was no fingerprint of Madison Avenue on it. But but the third thing was that, that the information contained on this piece 
was not spun in any way. You know, when I work with people who are writing these pieces, they're always wanting to push something negative into the messaging. But, but it's clinical, completely clinical. The power of it is in the issues you choose. You choose the issues that are more favorable to your candidate, and everything else is done in an even-handed and clinical way. So what's the difference between that and the other stuff we mailed? It's credibility. And, uh, and what we really have to do, is, I think, is, is that we have to attach ourselves to the news cycle and, if, and be opportunistic. You know, we may go five or six months without a great opportunity, but when they come along, we have to do our advertising then and not save everything for September and October when everyone is flooded with these ads and, uh, and most of them are about something that happened a long time ago. You, as much as anybody, understand the whole environment in which advertising is created and funded and decided upon. And it's not a centralized system, right? Let's assume that this is the way to do it. How can you persuade the ecosystem on the progressive side to make this change? What do you think are the steps to get adoption of this kind of change? There are several groups particularly Priorities USA, they have they spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, they could move to this right away. I think the groups that should be doing it are these super PACs, these, uh, these groups that are raising large amounts of money from big donors and have the freedom to go in and, uh, and, and do this on a partisan basis. The second thing is, you know, we need to measure the impact of this stuff. I put in a recent proposal to uh, create an organization called Congress Votes, and we would uh, we would send a postcard after a big piece of legislation that basically stated how the Republican Congressperson voted on this particular popular legislation. Not not saying that they're evil. Uh, in fact, the the format that I developed said here's the argument for, here's the argument against, and also. Here was the partisan vote. Here's how Republicans voted versus how Democrats voted. Yeah, I couldn't get it funded, but, um, um, you, you know, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it, you could, um, you could test mailing targeted voters with a letter encouraging them to switch from unaffiliated to the Democratic Party and giving them reasons. And your two targets would be, uh, the two groups that, that that have moved the most over the last five or six years, and that's voters under 30, who are an easier target because they often have less information about politics and have less, uh, weaker feelings about partisanship. The other group is the Asians, which have moved more than any group. There was a study that was published in 2017, and over the previous uh, three years, about 30% had moved in the Democratic direction. So you've got two great targets. The first test is, can we get people to change, that change their parties? And there was an interesting experiment done on this subject by Alan Gerber, who mailed in front of the 2008 Democratic primary and, uh, and got 15% of independents to move to the Democratic side. Now, a lot of this was because they could vote in the 2008 presidential primary and 
this was a hot race. But it does show that people will read the letter and act on it. If we're talking to younger voters and we're giving them student debt relief and we're talking about, uh, about lower college tuition, these are pretty powerful issues we have. How long would it take to, and how much money would it take to really test this theory? How would you go about it? Let's take the party registration example. The first question is, can you get people to change their registration? If you can't, then the experiment's over. But the second part of it is, if the first part is successful, then you do a large survey of the people who are part of the group and you compare, uh, you would probably postpone that till the uh, midterm or the uh, presidential election. And in front of election day, you would poll people on how they plan to vote. And uh, if the control group was the same as the treatment group, then it didn't work. The hard part is getting these consultants to read the experiments. I mean, I'm certain there's a fair number of consultants that will read experiments like that. Let's say Priorities was going to devote some money to the registration test. How many people would they need to mail? It is expensive. You have to mail a lot. And the reason is that getting people to take these surveys is very difficult. At one point in time, back in the last century, you could get 30% of the people. Now it's barely 1%. So you have to mail a lot of people to get enough interviews to, uh, uh, to get some precision in your measurement. But couldn't we pick that up? from actual registrars that people had changed? Oh, yeah. You, you, you can know what percentage changed their, their, you just get an update of the voter file. The harder question is, how many people do you have to mail to get enough interviews to, uh, to get good measurement? But do you even have to interview them if, like, if you, like, mail the 100,000 people and, and then you looked at the voter file a month later when you compared that to what was happening with a different 100,000, a random comparison. You can, you can know that piece. What you, what you need the polling for is to determine whether changing your party, you know, maybe there's someone was already a Democrat. You, you know, the largest party affiliation is the independents. If, if you look at the Gallup polling, the uh, 45% of the electorate are independents. But this is a false figure. Number one, when you ask them, which way do you lean, this, this, number, this number drops to, interestingly enough, to 11%, the true independents, which is exactly the number that the uh, public opinion strategies came up with in their polling. You have a lot of people who, uh, who are not totally excited about Democrats or Republicans, but they really hate the other side. So they're unaffiliated, but they're not really young, but they're voting straight tickets. I imagine that you've sort of socialized this concept among consultant friends or party friends. What, what kind of response do you get when you're advocating this? Mostly people nod their heads. This is what happened back when I was trying to change how people did targeting. You know, I had this 15-minute PowerPoint, and I'd go around town and show it to people and go, oh, hell, this, this is great. But, you know. Didn't change their practices. No no one acted on it till I wrote the book, the, the uh, new political targeting in 2003. Uh, and, and, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe, maybe only 30 people will read it, but 
25 of them will be the really important people, right? Well, I sold 5,000 of these books. No one goes, Hal, you're an idiot. The, uh, uh, I've had some people who, who just sort of uh, avoid comment. I don't know. The logic seems very strong to me. What do you think will happen with this and what do you hope will happen? Oh, what I hope will happen, here's what's happened. The Republicans are in total disarray. They're taking orders from a guy whose favorability ratings in some polls have dropped below 30%. They are taking positions on whether the election was stolen, on the stimulus package that gave 85% of our households a $1,400 check. On vaccines. Yeah, vaccines. They are. They're out there. They're out there. And their base no longer includes a whole bunch of moderates. And, And this is a big problem for them because you have to take care of your base. And if you've got Trump calling the shots, you've got to defer to Trump. So they're in a trap. They're in a trap, an ideological trap that is fairly far removed from the mainstream electorate. And we could be exploiting this really strongly if we were acting now. But, but even without our help, in the fourth quarter, uh, Gallup does regular polls on party affiliation. In the fourth quarter of 2020, Democrats and Republicans were dead even in their affiliation polls. In the first quarter of 2021, the Democrats had moved ahead of the Republicans nine points. Now, you know, what if we were throwing gasoline on their fire? What if we'd let all the voters know that 80% of them voted to overturn the election and that 100% of Republican senators voted against their stimulus checks? You know, it would be higher than 9%, I'm sure. Particularly when you get an opportunity like this, You've got to act on it. But what we're doing, we're saving our money and we'll wait till September, October of uh, 2022 and wonder why we didn't do better. Does the argument kind of boil down right now to we have the same party, we're doing things to help you, you should know it? I think the stronger message, you know, there are a lot of consultants who will say, oh, negative ads are the only thing that works. I don't believe that at all. But right now, Right now, the story is the Republican behavior. That's what we should be emphasizing. Is the polarization in itself a big problem? And if the technique that or you're advocating increases that by pointing out these differences, does that exacerbate what's going on? It might, yeah. It is a strategy that seeks to convert what's going on into more Democratic votes. I talked to um, a longtime Republican state and federal prosecutor named Ron Filipkowski the other day on the podcast. And he went through this evolution in his life where a lot to do with Trump, but a lot to do with other things that he was observing. He started to feel like the Republican Party had gone where he himself couldn't go. And he said to me that when he saw the Lincoln Project ads, which you referenced earlier, that he realized that there are other Republicans who were thinking like him, which was a a huge thing for him, because in his 
family and his friends and, and the Republican circles that he was like running a local Republican club. He wasn't seeing that. He was seeing like unanimity of support for Trump. He was seeing people keeping very quiet if they disagreed. But by seeing those ads, he said, oh, there are other people like me. In fact, these prominent Republicans who've switched. And I think that authorized him in a certain sense to make the change. And he became an independent and then he became a Democrat. And then he worked with the project to make ads. And he's really like come a long way. Have you thought about the path that people have to go through to switch sure. emotionally and, and intellectually from one party to another? Yeah. If you go back to like 1990, when I first started in this business, you had you had at least moderate Republicans and some that were almost liberals. Even as, as elected representatives in the Senate. The Yeah. Yeah. My next door neighbor back in Washington, I, I live in Santa Fe now. My next door neighbor worked in the Ford administration. And the last time I visited Washington, I went and had lunch with her because we really enjoy each other's company. And um, she was really torn. She was she was terrified of Trump. But but she was also she was also scared of Biden. You know, she was an economic conservative, not a social conservative, but an economic conservative. She wasn't going to vote for Trump. She probably voted for the libertarian. It's a hard transition. I mean, I think Biden Biden has not caved to the left in the uh, in the Democratic Party, and and I think I think he's coming across as as maybe a safer looking choice for some Republicans than than he was when when you had a, a presidential election campaign and all sorts of uh, all sorts of exaggerations are are being thrown around. But it is hard. Someone like my next door neighbor is not going to change her parties on the basis of receiving a mailing or watching a television ad. But there are plenty of voters, particularly younger voters, who who don't have their feet in concrete and whose beliefs about the world and uh, and politics and policy and things like that are not as strongly formed as with other voters. And, and I think that's where the, probably the real opportunity is. But the targeting on something like this is really pretty easy. You just go look at voters who've changed their party to Democrat over the last two or three years, and you build a model. And it'll have all kinds of things in it. It seems like something that ought to be happening right now, at least to check it. Have you gone to uh, priorities to pitch this? No, I haven't gone to priorities I have uh, I've been trying to get a meeting with the DNC to talk about this since 2016. In 2016, I actually got a response and we had four meetings set up, but they were all canceled. Subsequent to that, I've uh, I had a phone call, I had a letter. I've not been able to get anywhere with the Democratic Party. Hal, if you can't, after a lifetime of service to the party, get in the door to talk to somebody in that I mean, what is going on there? I mean, I'm sure that they got a lot of people to talk to. It's a big country, but. Well, when I promoted a new form of targeting and when I worked to bring some more measurement, you know, when we founded the Analyst Institute and we did a year of experiments, basically what we learned is 80% of everything we did for voter turnout was absolutely useless. And we had to revamp everything. 
in that environment, that, that was very helpful. What I learned from both episodes, both in the targeting and the measurement, was that the campaign industry is innovation averse. And the reason it's innovation averse is because, you know, if you have a campaign manager and you run a fabulous campaign, a lot of times you still lose. And, and people who run a terrible campaign, a lot of times still win. Uh, so this evaluation that you face is, uh, is a little treacherous. And uh, if you try something new and you lose, you're sure to be blamed for it. So, so there's a lot of risk aversion in, uh, in the campaign industry that, that makes it difficult to bring about real innovation. Is that changeable? Is there a way to change the incentives around innovation in campaigning such that we might promote it better? Can we run external tests to highlight whether or not something actually worked with Analyst Institute examples? Like, how do we change this? Well, the Analyst Institute experiments completely transformed how we do GOTV, and it's had a big impact. Part of the problem is the measurement and persuasion is much more difficult, uh, and it's much more expensive. The reason this information-only piece got all this measurement was you had a bunch of Silicon Valley donors with a lot of money who, who believe in the measurement. And, uh, and they probably spent a half million dollars measuring this piece of mail. And it was worth it because it was a breakthrough. But yeah, it's, it's, hard. it's hard to get people to take money away from product and put it into measurement. I mean, I've talked to some folks on this show who are instrumental in directing money on a large scale. If you had, you know, three minutes of their ear, make the pitch. The pitch is the voters are no longer voting for candidates. They're voting for party. But we are doing our advertising on the basis of candidates, which is a choice made only by 10% of the voters. And among those voters, probably to a small extent. And that all the evidence shows that the advertising we're doing is not very effective. If we really want to win more elections, we should focus on informing voters about the uh, choice that they're making, which is a choice of parties, and that we need to do our advertising in a different way that enhances and uh, amplifies positive news that we are seeing at the time that that news is taking place. So it's kind of a permanent party-based campaign. Yep. And again, opportunistic. You know, when the, when the uh, $1,400 checks go out, you know, we should be telling people. But we might not have that same opportunity for another three or four months. Is it a counter-argument to the idea that people are voting party that if you look at the Republican Party, they seem to be following one individual and uh, defining party around him, perhaps, but not supporting necessarily establishment Republicans, rather, you know, taking almost orders from him in primaries about what constitutes a Republican now. And maybe the Democrats are defining themselves to some degree in opposition to that man 
the Trump-centric politics that we've had for the last six years or so, does that undermine or support what you're talking about? That supports. They're getting away with a lot of egregious behavior because it doesn't work its way through the news cycle prominently enough for most voters to see. Let me give you another example. So there's a 20-minute clip of Mitch McConnell, and he's saying our number one only objective in this administration is to stop everything that Joe Biden is trying to do. I saw a poll, and it asked voters, which of these statements do you think are very important to America, right? The number one statement was, and I was really very surprised that that this scored so high given the polarization and cross-hatred between the parties, the number one uh, statement was Democrats and Republicans need to work together to bring our country forward. 84% said this is very important. And then we have Mitch McConnell on video saying the only thing he wants to do is to stop everything, Joe Biden. Why has this never been on the air? Only people who read the New York Times and and, and are, you know, real students of uh, what's happening in the country ever saw this. How do you understand an electorate that 84% would say we want them to work together and so many would also say we don't think much of the other side at all. In fact, we, we almost hate them. Like, how can, how can those two things be true at the same time? Well, I asked the same thing. I asked the same thing. I, I was surprised that the number was so high because I, I would think there was a larger percentage of voters who, who would prefer their own party didn't talk to the other side. But, but that, was the, that was the number. And I think underneath that number is a certain desperation of voters about where the country's headed and the fact that we're not making progress and that if we don't have some compromise, it's never going to get better. Just fix this, people. I don't care who yeah, does it and how. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. I am really curious to hear how your attempt to change how advertising is done, you know, how successful it is. What can we look for over the next while? Do you think that you think you'll be able to pry some dollars loose to to do a big test? I'm going to try. Um, I've never been a Twitter person, but I've got a uh, I've got a, I'm going on Twitter today and do a chain Twitter about this issue. I do have a fair number of followers. I don't know why, because I've hardly ever tweeted. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. I've got this article that I'm shopping, you know, but it's a little partisan for most publications. I'll probably go back to the Analysts Institute and make another presentation. And as you said, I should probably reach out to uh, Priorities USA. They would be the group that would be uh, uh, best able to get something done. Okay. Well, it's, it's always an honor to talk to you. Anything else you want to say? No, I think I've, I've said it all and a little more. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, good luck on this and uh, I'll be looking to see what happens. Okay, thanks for having me, Nathaniel. Sure. That was Hal Mauchow. Hal is Hal Mauchow on Twitter. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. 